computer scientist Shwetek Patel talks a mile a minute. And there's a reason for that. He's got a lot on his mind. My primary hat is I'm a professor at the University of Washington. I have uh, uh, nearly a dozen graduate students. But I'm also helped develop the curriculum for GIX, the Global Innovation Exchange. So I'm involved in that as the CTO of GIX. And then also the Synosis startup company. I'm still involved with helping Belkin, which now has a subsidiary called Finn, which is doing water sensing, um, and then have a two-year-old and a four-year-old at home as well. You heard Schwetek mention GIX. That's a graduate technology school created by the University of Washington and China's Xinhua University. You also heard him mention Belkin. That's the company that bought his energy monitoring startup, Zensi, in 2010. Schwetek is also a MacArthur genius. He received a prestigious MacArthur Fellowship for his work in computer science. At just 35 years old, he's made a career out of taking on what he calls grand challenges, things like energy efficiency and sustainability. There's a common theme across his work, coming up with ingenious uses for existing technology. In one of his startups, he used the standard electrical wiring in homes as an antenna to help detect water leaks. The technology behind that startup, called Snoopy, was acquired by Sears in 2015. Now Shwetek is turning to a new grand challenge, health. Through the UW and his new startup, Synosis, Shwetek is using technology that we carry around in our pockets every day to screen for diseases like osteoporosis and asthma. You're not going to believe what he can do with your smartphone. And the best part is, some of Shwetek's inventions work just as well as expensive medical equipment. Today, we're going to explore the frontiers of health through the work of this technology innovator. From GeekWire.com in Seattle, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm Claire McGrain. Welcome to Health Tech, the podcast where we take you to the cutting edge of digital health. Stay with us. GeekWire's Health Tech podcast is brought to you by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, leveraging best-in-class digital tools to relentlessly reimagine health and healthcare. Follow them on Twitter at Prov Innovation. That's twitter.com slash P-R-O-V innovation. Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, making it easier, more collaborative, and more rewarding to take charge of your health. So how did a literal computer genius end up trying to diagnose kids with asthma? Well, Schwedek says it goes back to the idea of grand challenges, and it's the same reason he spent much of his career working in sustainability. I've always been interested in solving grand challenges. So sustainability was a grand challenge, and, and health is another grand challenge. And I, I've always been an advocate of computing technologies to play roles in these big grand challenges. And I think the space was such an exciting space for me because I think we could have direct impact on people's health. Schwedek says healthcare has always interested him. But unlike his computer science work, it takes a long time for healthcare projects to ramp up. And he isn't just working on another drug or medical device. He's trying to do something that no one has done before. My thinking has really been around, you know, leveraging these sensors that are going to be around us all over the place in terms of the wearable sensors, sensors in the home, in the car. How do you leverage those in unique ways that you can get to data points that were never possible before? You know, think about the healthcare industry right now where, you know, if you go into a physician's office, your data point is at the physician's office itself, right? 99.9% of the time, you're not with the doctor, right? So what happens then, right? How do we get information about what's happening while you're in your daily life that you can get 
get those data points so that you can make a better decision about healthcare or even predict things that might be happening that you may not know that's happening. Our idea has been how do we repurpose the sensors that are already on a mobile phone to do similar things that you would find in a clinician's office or at a hospital. And so we're looking at how to use microphones, the camera, the flash, the accelerometer, the gyro in new ways that people have never used them before. And in this case, using them to diagnose disease. Schwetech is developing apps for smartphones that can measure health almost as well as expensive medical equipment that you'd find in a hospital. Those apps include BP Sense, which uses a smartphone camera to measure blood pressure. Billy Cam also uses the camera, this time to screen newborns for jaundice, a disease that can cause brain damage if it goes untreated. And some of his projects are even more ambitious. One app called Cough Sense monitors how often the phone's microphone hears someone coughing. It can use that data to figure out how diseases are spreading through large populations. And those three apps are just the tip of the iceberg. So one is one of the earlier projects we did and the first projects, which is SpiroSmart. So the ability to do lung function assessment using a microphone on a mobile device. And so lung function assessment is basically doing a spirometry maneuver, which is um, if you have COPD or chronic asthma or cystic fibrosis, you use this machine to monitor the amount of air that the lungs can hold and how much as you expel out, how quickly you can expel it out over a certain amount of time. So pulmonologists use this information to diagnose and treat disease. Um, But the problem is these spirometers are expensive. Uh, You don't do it at home. You typically do it in a clinic. And they make these portable spirometers that people could have that you can monitor your lung function over time. But the problem is is that you you have to remember to have it with you. They're they're expensive. And even if you had it with you, a lot of times if you're having an asthma attack or pulmonary exacerbation, you don't have it with you, right, to monitor your lung function. And so we created an app that uses the microphone on the mobile device to do that. So you don't need a mouthpiece or anything. You hold the phone in front of you. You blow at the face of the phone, and it uses machine learning and signal processing on the audio data to calculate what the flow is coming out that is actually similar to what a clinical spirometer has. And so we did this clinical trial and showed that it's almost as accurate as a $10,000 clinical spirometer which is just, just mind-blowing, right? And our team had to work on clever ways to tr- turn a microphone into a spirometer, and it was really that, that, that creative thinking about how do you repurpose this microphone in a new way that really enabled this. And so now you can have an app on the phone that you can monitor somebody's lung function over time. If you have chronic asthma or COPD, and determine if there's something going to happen way before it even happens, if you can just you know, monitor your lung function once a week or maybe a few times a day or something like that. Schwetek is also working on an app that can measure hemoglobin, That's the protein that carries oxygen through your bloodstream. And low hemoglobin levels could be a sign of health problems like anemia. So the idea here is that can you use the camera and flash in unique ways? So if you look at a modern phone, in fact, you might not just have one camera. You might have two cameras, one on the front and the back. Um, And in fact, camera phones are so, so powerful now that, you know, sometimes you might take a picture and you realize that, wow, that picture looks better than my SLR picture, right? And so there's a lot of technology that's in there for photography, but you can actually repurpose it in an interesting way where we have this app called Hema app where you put your finger over the camera and flash. In fact, you can download apps that can give your, uh, your heart rate that way. So by looking at the light that's being, you shine it to your finger and the perfusion that's created from that fingertip and the camera can actually see the change, the subtle change in the red color to get at cardiac activity. But what we looked at was modeling the lighting properties coming out of the flash and looked at what frequencies of light do hemoglobin absorb and reflect? And by modeling that and looking at it through the camera, we can tell you the amount of hemoglobin that's in your blood. So I actually have the hemoglobin app with me if you want to try yeah, hemoglobin. Yeah. So we hit, you hit start. You put your finger over the, the camera and flash. Actually, you want me, I'll go ahead and do it first so you can dem- I can demonstrate it to you. And so you just need to get your finger over the flash and in the camera, and then you hit start. And so you get a three-second 
window there. And now it's going to probably it's going to collect data for about 15 seconds and so it's analyzing the blood in my finger. And then what it'll do is it'll send the data to the to the our cloud server and it it does the uh, machine learning algorithms there, and then it'll actually get back a result. Okay, computing results. Yep, so my heartbeat uh, shows me my heartbeat first, which is uh, 58. And there's my hemoglobin level, which is 14.6. Is that a normal hemoglobin That's level? That's a normal hemoglobin level. So if I used another non-invasive device or did a blood draw, it would be pretty be much the same. spot on. Shwetek also told us about one more app, and this one uses some creative physics. And in this case, we're not using the camera flash or the microphone. We're actually using the accelerometer and gyro on a phone for osteoporosis screening. So osteoporosis is the reduction of bone density. So you have osteoporosis typically uh, impact women, but it's, it's a disease that impacts uh, in a lot of individuals. But typically, you don't know that you have osteoporosis unless you've broken a bone, you have a hairline fracture, or you have a family history. And then to screen for that, you do what's called a DEXA scan. So DEXA scan is a, a, a procedure that typically a radiologist would do where you put your um, hand or a body part inside of a machine and it gives you a bone density analysis. And if you wanted to do um, you know, bone density analysis, you're not going to do this every month or even once a year is hard to do. So we wanted to create a screening tool to encourage people to go get the next level screening if there's a concern. And so the way this works is it uses the accelerometer and gyro. And so if you think about basic physics, so what we did was some of my students started to look at the basic concepts here. They said, look, do we really need to use you know, radiation or any other techniques? Could we use something else? So if you think about what, what, what osteoporosis creates is that you have your bones and the density is reduced, and then there's other physical properties that are changing. And so the way this app works is you, you hold the phone in your hand and you squeeze it, and then you tap your elbow. And we look at the reverberation or the frequencies that are going through your hand at, from that tap and the absorption and reflection of what frequencies make it to the phone in terms of the vibration can tell you if there's a hollowing effect or not. So think about a tuning fork, right? You have a tuning fork, you tap it at one end, you get a certain kind of pitch, right? And then let's say you hollow it out a little bit. Now you've changed the pitch at the other end. So that's kind of the idea here is that the, 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 the arm in this case is just, you know, you model it as a pipe. And if there's a change in the density, then the frequencies that get to the phone, which is being picked up by the accelerometer and the gyro, are going to be different. And so that's what we've been showing, trying to show is that you, know, you can actually use this as a screen. It's not going to be perfect where it gives you the exact density net level, but that's not what we care about. What we care about, has there been a change? Is it an upward change or downward change? Or is it at a certain level where, you know what, you might want to go check, out, uh, check this out and get a DEXA scan. The apps Shwetek is developing are nothing short of genius. So how could they impact health around the world? And what does the all-important Food and Drug Administration think about them? We'll find out after this break. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is brought to you by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, helping to shift the industry from sick care to healthcare. Providence St. Joseph Health empowers people to take a greater role in managing and improving their health. Building on Providence's history as a disruptor, the Digital and Innovation Group leverages best-in-class digital tools to reimagine a better consumer experience in healthcare. Building healthier communities requires meaningful and personalized relationships that make Providence St. Joseph Health a trusted partner in people's lives. Follow the Digital and Innovation Group on Twitter at Prov Innovation. That's twitter.com slash P-R-O-V innovation. Now back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to Health Tech. So the apps that Shwetek has been telling us about are super interesting from a technology standpoint, but they could also have a huge impact on health. 
That's particularly true in places where the expensive diagnostics we have in the U.S. aren't even available. A lot of the validation studies that we're doing, we actually do outside the U.S. as well. So we work with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation with some of our uh, uh, our pulmonary work that I mentioned uh, in other parts of the world. And yeah, definitely, if you think about the mobile phone penetration in the world, it's actually you know, it's actually uh, to a point where you can leverage the phone itself as a screening tool. And so we're working with uh, various organizations that are trying to use our apps as screening tools in low resource communities where they wouldn't even have access to the more expensive diagnostic tools. And in that case, they would use this as a case finding tool where you can quickly go find the cases that really need attention earlier, and then you can get them to the treatment uh, and to the diagnostic systems that are more expensive. I remember one of the sites that we went to uh, was when I was visiting Cape Town. So one of the coordinate, research coordinators there introduced me to somebody that was going through it, and they were just dumbfounded to learn that a microphone was doing this analysis, right? And it's just, and for them, it, it was interesting in that, you know, it's really hard for them to constantly to come back into clinic, right? Because they're working, they have a family, and even if the clinic is next door, it's just so hard for them to kind of take that time out of their day to do it. But being able to have a simple, low-cost device that's in their home that's managing and helping monitor the, the progression of their disease, and if there's an issue, then they can proactively kind of come into the clinic, which is huge for them, right? And But they just can understand how this little microphone they took for granted for many years could be doing this, right? It's just amazing to have people kind of uh, not, not realize that, wow, that this thing that I always never really thought of beyond just speaking into is more powerful than I thought. It isn't just patients who are surprised by the apps. Since they started Synosis, Schwetek and his team have been working with the Food and Drug Administration to make sure the apps can be approved for use in the U.S. And safe to say, FDA officials weren't quite sure what to make of them at first. I remember one of my first meetings with some with some of our FDA consultants and some of people from FDA where you know they wanted to see this app. And I said, oh, here's my SpireSmart app. They're like, sir, let me see the app. Uh, and I pushed it closer. Well, let me see that device. I'm like, no, it's in the phone. So they couldn't even understand that it's in the phone, right? It's an app. And where's the device? Well, it's not a device. It's it's, it's source code on a phone. And so, you know, now we've, you know, fast forward three or four years now, um, they're starting to appreciate and understand this. And so with Billy Cam and SpireSmart, we're actually going through the FDA process. And in fact, these will be some of the first apps that will be cleared by the FDA that can do diagnostics that's on a phone that's not locked down to its specific purpose. So the FDA has cleared phones, apps, where the app, uh, if it does diagnostics or is doing some kind of sensing, it has to be locked down to the phone. So in other words, the phone can't do anything else. You can't pay Pokemon Go or Angry Bird or anything like that. You, you can only use the app for that purpose. But what we're trying to push on is, look, you can't lock the phone down. This is a personal phone for an individual. It, it breaks the use case. And so, so these will be phones that can be used as a personal phone and it has screening capabilities in it. You've made a career so far out of finding sensors in the world yep. and figuring out different ways to use them. Mm -hmm. Now the phone is the latest example. Mm -hmm. Are there sensors you would like phones to include? Oh yeah, that's always an interesting question. And what are they? I don't know. I mean, maybe a mass spectrophotometer, right? I mean, a what? <laughs> <laughs> so a mass spec allows you to basically, you know, interrogate a specimen or, or something at many different wavelengths, right? You know, I, I talked about the hemoglobin app and a couple other things where we're looking at certain wavelengths of light that we're shooting at the finger and we're looking at the absorption and reflection properties of the camera. But think about a universal one, right? Uh, so mass, uh, a mass spectrophotometer allows you to do that arbitrarily, right? Um, my, my thinking is that we're almost getting to that point. If you look closely at a modern phone, you have infrared uh, um, lasers in there to, for for ranging for photography. You have really great CCD sensors in the cameras. We're almost getting to that point, right? So eventually, we'll get to a general purpose sensor that can let you, you know, interrogate 
you know, blood at many different levels, right? I, I hate to <laughs> reference Star Trek, but it sounds like a tricorder. Yeah, everybody always says it's a tricorder. Okay. Right? I'm, I'm doing the greatest hits here. <laughs> but you're, you're right. It is kind of like a tricorder. But there are some things that handset manufacturers can do, not just on the hardware side, but even on the software side. Because, you know, if you think about the engineers for a lot of these phones, um, you know, they've designed it for telephony, gaming, uh, for productivity, not for health, right? So there's some really simple things you could do uh, on the software side that could actually make things easier. And, you know, one example, was um, it's actually a while ago. Um, uh, um, uh, Bill Gates had visited our lab and was uh, we were doing a demo of Spirosmart. This was like four or five years ago. And one of the things that Bill asked was why why didn't I not build this on an, a Microsoft phone at the time? So this was before the Nokia phones. And I said, well, Bill, um, the reason for that is because the uh, the microphone only does eight kilohertz sampling, and we need full twenty two kilohertz sampling. And, and there's no reason for doing that. It was just a bit that needed to be kind of changed to support full sampling. And that was kind of interesting because it was just a design decision that was made. And it makes sense. Eight kilohertz, all you need for voice and for spoken words, right? But the hardware can totally support higher sampling. You, you, ju- you just have to enable it. How did Bill Gates respond to your comment? Um, it was uh, a few, few weeks later, I got an email saying that that was rectified. <laughs> <laughs> So would you like the hardware makers to start thinking about these types of scenarios that you're enabling? Yeah. Because you're kind of doing some hacks here. Yeah, exactly. We're doing some hacks to get around it. But we are working with various manufacturers to talk about, you know, if you made these simple changes that doesn't impact their bomb at all, the bill of materials or their cost, there's some interesting things you could do with that. What would be top of your list? Yeah, a lot of things are just kind of um, in the camera space. There's a lot of, um, you know, technologies that's embedded in the camera to make that picture look perfect, right? When you take that picture, it's vibrant. It's got this great... You you know, um, you know, depth to it. That's because they're adding a lot of filters in it to basically optimize it for photography. But if we can disable some of those features when you're doing a health version, when you're using it as a health tool, then you don't have to circumvent some of these automatic uh, features in there that are amplifying things that are not tr- we're trying to amplify. So they're doing it for a good reason, but we're trying to see, could we, you know, disable those at the time that using it as a health app or something like that. So it seems that a lot of your work has to do with taking something that everyone kind of already has and a problem that everyone already has Mm -hmm. and creatively working those to find a solution. So what do you do to kind of drive that creativity? Do you have practices or -hmm. or habits that you try and get into? No, that's a good question. Um, So one of the things that often, you know, um, think about is, you know, if, 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 I'm trying to look for a solution, and the answer is no. I don't take no for an answer. Um, and because I, I think one of the things we, uh, I always tell myself is look at the basic problem or look at the physics of the problem. Like for the Osteoprosis app, it, by, by taking a step back and say, treating this as a physics problem, then we were able to look at it from a different angle, right? Um, the other thing is, is I get other people involved that know a little bit about the problem but, my, but aren't as deeply kind of um, – uh, knowledgeable about it because I, I, I come up with this new concept of what I call naive innovation which is if you take somebody that's really creative and smart but doesn't know all the nuances about that domain if you get them to look at that problem they're going to come up with these wacky ideas that some of those aren't that wacky they actually have some interesting merit to them because if you get an expert in a particular domain working on it they're going to solve it like how they would have solved it typically in their own profession, right? They use their own kind of learnings and findings in applying those concepts instead of taking a different approach on it, right? So that's another thing that I, I always offer, uh, apply this naive innovation lens, which is you might not know exactly how this works. You're not an expert in it, but just try it out. Let's see what happens if you give it a stab. Can you think of an example? Oh, so a lot, actually, uh, many of our projects are come out come out of this way. So when I think about the graduate students that work on this, you know, they eventually get up to speed in these domain areas. But many of these students had no expertise in hemoglobin or osteoporosis or pulmonary function. Now they're really good at it. But when they first took their first stab at it, they had no clue, right? So 
pretty much almost all the projects we do in our lab, we're not experts in it. We work with experts, but but because I think we have a different lens on it, I think comes we come up with interesting solutions. Okay, it's time for the fix. This is the segment where we ask our guests about the biggest problem they see in health and what could be done to fix it. It could be a frustration from their professional work or one that they encountered in their personal lives. There's just one rule. It can't be something that they're already working on. So Shwetek, what problem would you like to fix? So I think one of the challenges that I've personally faced is um, uh, trying to get to a specialist, right? So let's say you have an issue and you've been working with your primary physician or your general practitioner and um, and you want to get to a specialist. So for example, let's say you want to see the dermatologist. But sometimes if you're a new patient, it actually takes a long time to get in there. So sometimes the first appointment is probably maybe three, four months out, depending on the, the specialty. And obviously, if, if it's a really emergency, if it's an emergency or if it's a, a case where you need to be referred immediately, they can make that happen. But a lot of times, um, you want to get seen sooner because whatever you're dealing with, you want to get it addressed as soon as possible. And so... I've been trying to figure out, is there a way that, you know, I could just ask a simple question to the specialist, which is, you know, in the case of dermatology, um, if I could just take that picture, that's all you really need is that picture. And can you give me a response? Am I okay? Or what should I do next? Or what can I do from now until my first appointment three months from now to help address that? So if we could have a way that we can engage with our specialists so that such a low touch is so low overhead for them where, you know, I just need to ask the simple question and just ease my mind a little bit, right? And and, and that happens a lot, right? If you think about cardiovascular disease and, and for, for, for dermatology, all kinds of stuff. I wonder if there's something we could do there. And what do you think? Do you, do you think, I think you have so. an answer? I think so. And, uh, and, and so, like any other researcher, I'm creating a research project around this. So could oh, we, you are? Could we use computer vision and, and cameras to automatically diagnose some of these things or at least give you an assessment, initial assessment, that could be overread by a expert, right? So obviously, a specialist doesn't have the time to look at all of these pictures or data sets, but is there a way you could create a system that could automatically overread them? And then only certain things are being quickly analyzed by the specialist. So the simple cases, it, it responds immediately, but the more complicated cases or where there's a lot of uncertainty, then you could actually have the physician read those individually. That raises an important point. Is there a role in all of this for artificial intelligence and machine learning? I think to, so. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, if you think about deep neural networks and all these uh, hot machine learning topics, there's a huge role for that. So this is actually a problem that you're thinking about trying to solve? Oh, yeah. Really? So how far along are you it's, toward the fix? It's pretty early, right? It's pretty early. So, you know, I, I personally, you know, had the issue and now the fix is I'm trying to think about like what we do next with this. Yeah. What, something that struck me when you were talking about it, and I have had an experience exactly like this mm-hmm. just a few years ago, uh-huh. was if there was something you could do before your first appointment. Yeah. So in my case, I was going to a dermatologist and there was a very, very simple, just moisturizing thing yeah. that I could have done to yeah. make this skin problem I was having so much better. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't know until a month later when I got to see a doctor, if they had just said, oh, you're having X problem, probably try moisturizing and it might help. Even something like that would Yeah, have been something great. very simple. But yeah, yeah, something that strikes me about that, though, is that the medical community can be very, very cautious sure. about giving people incorrect right. information. De- de- yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So how, how might you address that kind of hesitancy and wanting to make really, really sure that no one gets information that could be harmful? That's right. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the big challenges. But my thinking is that if there is no communication at all, if that's status quo, then at least some feedback would be helpful, right? And I think the, the kind of feedback during that time, um, uh, the, the way they craft the feedback could be could be how they address that, right? So you're not making a diagnosis per se. You're asking them to do a certain set of things that by the time you get that first visit, you've already tried a number of things so that at that moment, you're not starting from ground zero again. Yeah. 
I would want this for orthopedics. Yeah. You know, when I'm playing basketball and I do something to my knee, yeah. uh, like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Gosh, if I could take take one of your sensors from this, the phone and yeah. do something against my knee, I realize that's probably way too far advanced. Or who, knows? That, who, who knows? Who knows? Okay. Yeah, who knows? That'll be your next fix. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And we have an interesting project one of my grad students is working on is um, looking at pupil dilation and pupillometry, and that has implications for concussion. Uh, so could you use a smartphone camera and you can do a selfie or an image of somebody's eye to see if they're, uh, uh, to basically assess concussions, which is kind of interesting for uh, athletics. If you look three, five, 10 years out and you see the way technology is evolving, mm -hmm. personal technology, mm -hmm. what's it going to be like for somebody? Are we going to not go to the doctor as much or how much are we going to be yeah. sort of self-diagnosing and, yeah, yeah. and, and all that sort of thing? I, I don't think we're going to be self-diagnosing and I don't think we're going to remove the doctor out of the equation at all. I think the patient-provider relationship is going to change. So now I can imagine you know, the mobile phone, even wearable devices, smartwatches and other things that you might wear and even clothing with embedded sensors in it and even sensors in the home environment itself, in the bed, in the couch and those kind of things are going to feed into a data source that you can take advantage of when you have that physician Meet, meeting with that physician. I think the physician is going to be empowered with new data sources that was never possible, that they didn't have access to before. So I think that patient-provider relationship is going to be a little different. Right now, as you go into the physician's office, they have all the access to the data, all the control of the data, but now you're going to be coming in with even more information that they can make a much more thoughtful assessment on. So here's a question that mm -hmm. I know anybody in the healthcare system is probably already thinking to themselves. Yeah. If a patient, um, say, say they had a smartphone app and mm -hmm. they took a picture and the smartphone app told them they probably didn't have a concussion and they didn't go to a doctor and they did have a concussion, mm -hmm. would the person who made the smartphone app be liable for that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And that's some of the things that we're, um, both as a company, but also working with the FDA are thinking about, well, what are the risk mitigation strategies for that, right? And the same thing would happen if, if you did come into an urgent care or ER visit and somebody misdiagnosed the concussion there as well. So you have this, uh, this, this happens in the, in, the, in the clinical setting as well, right? Um, so I think one of the things that we've been looking at is our sensitivity analysis are done in such a way that we err on the side of maybe false positives for certain things so that you don't miss anything, right? Um, whereas there might be some things where it's not, you know, if you miss it, it's not that life-threatening. Um, so you might want to err on the side of, you know, less false positives. So there's this sensitivity analysis that gets done with each one of the projects, and it's really specific to the, to the outcome and the condition. Thank you very much for joining us. Great. Thank you. Shwetek Patel is an endowed professor of computer science at the University of Washington and an all-around computer genius. Find out more about his health work at SinosisHealth.com. That's S-E-N-O-S-I-S Health.com. You've been listening to Health Tech, a GeekWire podcast about the cutting edge of digital health. Sponsored by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group. Find more episodes at GeekWire.com slash Health Tech and subscribe through iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm Claire McGrain. Thanks for listening.